for that sweet spot with all our heart. Hello, welcome to our new voice. All right, we're in a real special one for me. Probably the most vulnerable of the ones I'll do. I'm here with Miles. Miles is the father of Tristan and Cole and my husband for 20 years. And we have been through the dance and so we're going to ask the questions that we asked everyone else and see where it goes in regards to relationships. I definitely feel a little nervous of what will go back and forth. But in truth, we always communicate so authentically. And I know deep down we never want to hurt each other. We definitely got that far, right? We know we don't want to hurt each other. Yes, we do not want to hurt each other. And we do sometimes. In the sideways, time, in the sideways ways, the sarcasm, the the... Unhelpful comments. Mm-hmm. Yes, I can have unhelpful comments. I definitely grew from a land of sarcasm that felt like you had like a tough shield on you because you could take it from your family. And Miles came from a much sweeter template, much kinder, you know, reclusive, but very sweet inside, you know, gooey on the inside, like my one of my sons said when they met him. So... I've been learning how to let my sweetness meet his sweetness because I'm kind of sweet on the outside and a little tough on the inside. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we're learning. Well, thanks, Miles. I appreciate all the ways you support me, and I'm excited that you're here to answer the questions. Well, thank you for waiting for me to be on the podcast. It has been a little bit of a wait. We have a tendency to say we're going to do things, and then somehow it happens much later than we think. I think I've been having to learn for a long time that it happens when it happens and be excited when it's happening, like be present, you know? Right. Wonderful. Well, the first question for the conversation is, how were you informed or came to understand your gender as a younger person? Like, how did that come to be for you? How do you recall it? I guess I was... I already knew, I knew I was, you know, a boy going to be a man and, and those sorts of things. And just, I was informed by television, by witnessing family, witnessing other people in their relationships and, you know, the, the roles and, and things were, you know, assigned by example. This was how that they, you know, this is how I witnessed from what I witnessed was how I, I guess, built my, myself and my gender. Mm-hmm. And do you remember getting any messages or any specific kind of like cues when you were growing up about being a boy as a, instead of something else? No, there, you know, there was no, there was no messages, no, no, no you can't do that you're a boy kind of thing not not from my parents or anything they were 
Yeah, there was no, I, I didn't have any sort of gender or, or sexuality things or, or wanting to play female sports or, you know, like I didn't have any of those things that to even know that there was some sort of gender thing going on. Mm -hmm. What year were you born? 70. Okay. So you're sounding like you're saying it was pretty traditional in the way that things were at that time. Yeah, it was traditional. It was just regular kind of, you know, little boy growing up, you know, an only child until I was nine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that gender question is kind of like, I don't know. I didn't have anything that defined any to, to make it any different than, than the traditional view of what it is boys and girls. Mm -hmm. Well, you had a lot of uncles, right? Right. I had I had uncles, and I had one. I have one aunt, and I was the oldest. I am the oldest grandchild, so I was an only child for a while, and the next child was a girl. And I was not like her because <laughs> I was a boy. Uh -huh. I, you know, like I didn't have any. Okay. So, yeah. All right. Well, I'm not trying to create anything more than what you share. I'm just curious how you remember it and how it informed you from that place. Yeah, I don't. I remember everything as being a boy. Like that's the only perception. Like I don't have a, a perception of feeling like I was anything else. Mm-hmm. Okay. So then what did you learn about yourself as far as being a boy or being Miles as you came into relationships? What did you start to uh, become aware of? I was very quiet. I was, I guess I was talking and stuff until, until like, a, you know, 12 or 13. Last century, I've always been, I've always been, been quiet, I think. I'm pretty sure I've always been quiet, you know, like I've been, you know, with friends and stuff, you talk and get excited, but most of the time, like, that would be the standard uh, mode was being quiet. I, I'm wondering what it would be like to be an only child for nine years, Do you know, because I, I don't have any clue about that. You know, that's nothing that I would ever, I can't imagine. And I wonder if that would bring on a certain kind of introversion or way of being with yourself because as an only child, you're kind of with yourself a lot, no? Right. Yeah. When that ended, hell froze over. <laughs> Welcome, was, brother Ryan. No, they, it, <laughs> when my brother was born, we lived in Texas. And like the day or the, that shortly after he was born, Texas froze over. Like in, <laughs> and then they, they couldn't go, my dad couldn't go to get my mom from the hospital. They couldn't drive her home or whatever because there was a huge ice storm similar to the one that just happened in Texas. Oh, wow. And Dallas, Texas or Arlington, Texas, where we live, froze up, it was frozen. The ice, and they don't have any way to, to no plows, no salting trucks and stuff. 
Mm-hmm. So my mom was at the hospital with, with my newborn brother, and I couldn't get home. Mm-hmm. I don't know if there was any other ones after ice storms, but that one was significant at that point, and it might have been a just as I don't think it was as bad as this past one because there was a power issue with this, this last one, but it caused a huge shutdown. And that's the story I always remember about my, you know, my brother being born. How did that change your relationship with yourself and your family? It made a different dynamic. It wasn't so, it wasn't so bad until he got older and was able to be more mobile and annoying. And then we had, you know, we had a sibling rivalry or several fights or whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't know that it was any different. I mean, I had to watch him at time. Like it got to a point where I was watching him when I got home from school. I had, he was going to school. He'd get get off the bus and come home, and then I'd have to watch him until he got home. My parents got home, and that was maybe eleven or twelve. It must have been eleven or eleven or so, twelve. 13. I was close. Well, he's nine years younger than you, so you're yes, saying when he was, was four years it was old? In, it was, yeah, he was. In kindergarten, so probably like five or six years old. Yeah, he was coming. So you're probably like 14 or 15. He was coming home from when we lived in Town of Fly in like 95, maybe. So I, maybe I was 14 or 15. Or 15, 1995. Yeah, well, later in the year, mm-hmm. 85. So I'd be 14, like during the school year. Mm hmm. So, having to do that, really, I don't, you know, I wasn't really equipped to be a good caregiver for my brother. Because I was, you know, I was going through all kinds of stuff being 14, Mm -hmm. 14 Mm -hmm. and a half, possibly. Mm -hmm. I find it's interesting because that's how old John was when the twins were born was 15. Mm-hmm. But I know Joey was 11, but a 12 or something. Right. But yeah, so yeah, it's interesting how the lives somehow touch the next one and what we do and what we learn from what we live, you know, because everything we live through seems to be part of what we learn from, you know, what we, what we use. Right. Yeah. So then what else in relationships did you learn about yourself? I think I had a lot of anxiety with relating with people. Yeah, I had an anxiety with relating with people. And I think that I tried to bond with people by talking about other people. But I didn't have anything else to say. Mm. Just kind of like going, yeah, yeah, you know that? You know, when somebody gets to talk about another person, I'd be like, yeah, I know, right? Or, you know. or you'd be passing on the gossip of what you heard to continue the stories yeah. of other people's demise. Mm-hmm. And then I would talk, and then when I would talk, I would just kind of, it was less than, it wasn't a nice way to bond with people or, or, and stuff, you know. I had friends, but I didn't have a lot of friends. I wasn't like, Usually popular or anything. Uh, so my, I guess my relationships, my my what, what I how to how to bond with people was not a, a, a 
I was not bonding and making friends in the right way, in a, in a healthy way, I think. So I had friends that weren't, I mean, they were good enough people, but they were, we would do things like talk about each other and stuff and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, from tracking people and living as many stages as I have so far, I'm pretty sure everybody has some point of time or some job they're at or some experience where they collude and they bond over talking silliness about other people. I think that's one of those, I guess it's trauma bonding or bottom feeding in a way. It's like, you know, you go to bars and stuff. As a bartender, there was always stories and gossip going around and things like that. You know, I used to have a lot of fun with it personally because I used to tell everybody different stories on purpose and just let it happen because I thought it was fun to watch people do that kind of stuff. So that's how I used to play with it. But I, I can relate. I mean, there's been ways. I mean, heck, I've bonded with some of the women in my life over being annoyed at you. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, I've bonded over you're not going to believe what he said or what he did. Like, I would say that this has been one of those relationships that some of the things I would not have wanted to do, I caught myself doing out of the frustration I felt to kind of find our shared space or our middle. Do you know what I mean? Like, the venting with the sisters and I'll be transparent. There's recently a way that I was talking with a friend and we don't really vent and trash on men the way we once did, but in her reflection of what I was saying, I noticed myself the next day being like, Oh yeah, how come you are doing that? And it was actually from her voice to my ear and then out of me. So I think that kind of stuff is one of the reasons I like to be so careful of it because it really negates my authentic response or being present because I'm charged with some idea that someone else left in my head. So when I see that person again, so say I'm talking about a friend or my mom or my husband or my kid, then when I see that person again, that comes back up, you know, because I was talking about that. It's like it's in the frequency. You know, I remember when we were younger one time, you saying to me, don't you think I feel you talking about me in ways that are not nice? Do you know what I mean? And I know... Well, I could tell you were talking about me because of people... I could tell in a way that, that the people that you talk to would act towards me. They'd be cold and distant. So I'd be like, hi, how you? hey, how's it going? They're like, oh, hi. <laughs> and, you know, it would, I could tell. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're communicating with their face, with their eyes, with their their everything that that, that they just were unhappy with what something I did, and mm-hmm. I don't I didn't tell them I did anything, mm-hmm. and they didn't see me do anything, so I knew that there was something being told to them. Sure, and I guess that goes down to that person that we complain about at work or that we think is the annoying person or the person we make fun of at the bar that gets the guff. Like, they know that everybody's kind of talking about them, you know? But I will say, Miles is really a great observer. He picks up little nuances and things. He doesn't miss much of what's going on. Quiet as he may be, he's, he's quite alert to what's happening around him, yeah? Sometimes. That's true. If I start to tell a story and want his focus, he's very distracted. <laughs> it's very, very nice to go to sleep till. <laughs> yeah, we found early in the relationship that my storytelling was a perfect way for him to fall asleep. So we just learned to say that I needed to say it and he needed to rest. 
<laughs> so you have to accept what people are. I mean, that's really what the mission's been. So what else? I mean, when I say what you learn about yourself, it's like you've been being this boy, now Miles, this man. Okay. And relationships being the classroom that we sometimes suggest in Growing With The Seasons. Where else did you feel informed by relationship? I think I started learning about relationship when when we were married. I don't think I was actually, I, I had a very skewed version version of what a relationship was, not skewed, very limited. I didn't know what a relationship was, that you, you know, how you would really treat your friends and your relationship friends and like people would, you know, I would follow what people would do, but not until I met you in my 30s did I really start to like go, oh, I need to do this. Oh, I need to do that. So our relationship formed formed my my version of how to treat each other and what a relationship was. And, and that I don't think, you know, until the last five or six years, I really started to progress into being active, actively growing myself and our relationship. Well, you had other relationships. I was following, following the just examples, like archetype examples of, of relationships. When you get married, have kids, do this for your kids. And the other, you know, my other relationships, what do you mean? Like, Drinking, so I was drinking. Yeah, so I did a lot. So I had social anxiety. So I think that I would drink to help me in social situations. And then everybody was drunk anyway. So I would just be, you know, it wasn't really real relationship stuff going on. So I did that. Yeah, so the drinking did that, and then it became a soother of my anxiety in, in our life. And sometimes you weren't available all the way to the things around you because you were there, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's what, yeah, that's what alcohol did, yeah. You would just kind of get in a loop, and you'd be zoned out in a loop. The alcohol loop, not, in the same, not in, existing in the same world as anyone else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so what's been happening for you in regards to relationships in the past five years? What are some of the things you've come to understand since you've been more active in it? There's a lot of, a lot of things I've, that I've uh, learned in the last five or six years. Like I learned, I had to basically relearn every, you know, how to be in a relationship, how to, what, my values were, I never really reflected on what my values were or what values actually are or how you get values or, or, or you know, just nothing of that sort that you did I even think about. And I was really interested in, I got interested in, in psychology and looking at psychology stuff and trying to figure out what some of these terms were, what this, you know, what is going on? Why do people do do what they do or whatever? And or why do I think the way I do or why do what 
yeah, just to understand, I think, not even to understand one particular thing, just to understand, try to understand, yeah. And so then I was able to kind of understand how, how we have values, how, how do you, how you get values, how you, you know, when you would say, we don't, what's your values? What are we teaching kids? I didn't ever, I didn't understand the question. I'm like, I don't know. Do you know? And, you know, so. I always had answers. <laughs> and I like said, I'm, yes, those are right. Yeah, yeah. And then you wouldn't do them, but you'd be like, oh, yeah, yeah, sure, sure, sure. <laughs> you want to pick me up some Guinness on the way home? <laughs> After the accident, I began to to rebuild. Like it was a rebirth. Like I started from scratch again. We were separated, and um, rebuild and, and struggle through through all of that and regaining use of my right leg and 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 you know regaining all the weight that I lost and and just so begin learning speak more to the accident because somebody listening has no idea what you're talking about oh, okay so when i was in a i was in a drinking and driving accident and i crashed into a guardrail bridge kind of thing little like it's really just a bridge over a drain over a drainage ditch and then i was in the hospital for a month and was close to dying right and yeah, so then it took me nine months, and then I went back to work. I shouldn't have been back gone back to work, but my benefits went away. So I went back to work doing doing landscaping, and um, was uh, struggling with that. Still didn't have like full use of my leg, but, and so that was a struggle. And I had to go to the seventeen classes or whatever it was, seventeen classes to before I could get my license back, that were required to get the license back after the duration and to go to a certain amount of AA meetings. I had to do all that and that was a struggle because I never had a ride and then, then you had to drive me. So then we were strained with that and just working and then trying to learn all, and then started learning this stuff and and then three years, was it three years, four years later that we moved into here? I believe we moved into here in 2019? I think it was 2018. No, it was 2019. Yeah, 2019. We were separated for a year and a half when I lived in Jersey City. But I was coming home all the time and... We were hanging out, but we were separated. We were fully separated, and Miles' accident coincided with the boys and I on a camping trip, and it changed the trajectory. And it's kind of interesting in this moment to to think about it because so oftentimes when people get separated, they just go in different directions. Since we had kids, we knew we couldn't fully go in different directions, and we never were really mad at each other fully because everybody really was doing what they wanted, like. Miles, when he could do what he wanted, wasn't necessarily a mean person, just didn't want to be bothered. You know, he wasn't there to share. You know what I mean? Like, you just, you were more in with yourself. Unavailable. Yeah, emotionally unavailable. So that became a dead end for me. 
and I was looking to create a new reality and new groups of people, new experiences, and the stroke of the universe, and Miles, who usually, you know, will figure it out himself, can figure it out himself, and doesn't have other friends, and is going to do everything he can to make sure that I help him and be his driver for a year, which kind of forced us into a different kind of relationship, because we had to hang out and had to talk about and deal with a whole bunch of stuff. Mm -hmm. And then it became really true for us that me being by the twins and being part of my family was important. And there was a difference in miles since he wasn't drinking. And I was being invited to learn this man when he's not an alcoholic, like an active alcoholic. And with all the hurt that I had felt in the marriage, I didn't know that I wanted to get to know the man who's not an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. But then as we, you know, continued on and we moved in and we got what we needed, there was enough space for everyone to be comfortable. The boys were getting what they needed. I think we always shared a great value, even though it wasn't spoken, of wanting to provide a good space for Tristan and Cole and to be present for them. Yeah. Like, I mean, even though, you know, you might have been compromised when you were drinking, even that those days, like, you were taking care of the boys, they were to bed at a certain time, they had rituals, like, there were certain things that you were present as much as you could be at the time with the boys. Yeah, I was present. My drinking was more, I, you know, when people say you drink, you, you use it to do the pain or hurt. Mm -hmm. But I think I was kind of depressed. I think that I was not happy because I wasn't able to do creative things like I wanted to do. I wasn't doing the things that I wanted to do. I wasn't doing, even though I had the time, I just didn't know what to do. What I was just, and I was stuck. Mm. And I didn't know enough to get out of being stuck. And I didn't know that what I, you know, I didn't have a lot of living to do to get unstuck, to be creative with the, the you know, like real living. What does real living mean to you? What do you mean when you say being creative and being like, being an agent in, in my, being an agent, like the, the, you know, the, the, protagonist you know of the story mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. rather mm -hmm. than non-person player non-person non computer player or whatever well that's the way that's how you talk <laughs> about being a landscaper just being like a lawn ornament that people don't even notice but i mean when it comes to a non-person or the the yeah know, I mean, you were definitely an impetus because we had children together and you wanted to have children. Mm -hmm. But the situation and the stress of having children, I think, made you want to escape even more. Or did it make this, you want to escape even more? So the, yeah. It's just, I don't know. I guess I was just doing the things that I was supposed to do and there was... It was nice and, and it was it was fun to be around the kids at times and not so fun at times. But there was always something missing. 
like the purpose, like my meaning and purpose. And I didn't really have that other than them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you went into a whole research thing. Miles is a mad researcher and he's forever going down the pipe. And you went into the whole Jordan Peterson thing, learned about your personality. I think a couple of years ago, you gave me your whole personality theory for Christmas and helped me see and understand the way you are and what might be happening between the two of us and the dynamic. Yeah. So that, that helped out a lot too. Studying the Jungian stuff, the Jungian um, yeah. theory and some philosophy, existential stuff, existential psychology. There's ways to meet, to, to kind of form, because what was happening is I didn't have a formed, formed vision of my world. It was all, it was like being a ghost. So you were just responding and being a ghost though? Well, it, it wasn't exactly like that, but it was, it was like, say, like, it wasn't like a substantial, like, identity and personality and, and like agent in the world. It was more like ghosts and watching and observing the world and observing other realities as they go by. So being in the world, but not <laughs> of it in an observer kind of stance. Right. So that was kind of the way it was. And then and moving into being, and then I started reading about existentialism and and our perceptions and how we form the world and how how like archaic man ancient man formed the world by 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 his construct like social construction basically that's what religion is the sacred and profane archaic man would form his world through what was sacred he would there would be a sacred land a sacred point and around that that was like the holy spot and sometimes that spot was divined or found by the either sacrificing of some sort of, of wild animal. That's what they, they thought that was like what they really needed. Like it was their, what their their tribe thrived on. Mm-hmm. And then that place would become sacred. And around that <clears throat> was like a circle of say, I don't know, what you can walk in a day maybe or whatever. And that, and think of that in a radius, and the the full circumference, and that was that that was their world, right? Their their existing world, and outside that is the unknown world, chaos. So that's the unknown world. It wasn't unformed. It was just they don't know it, but they would go. They would. So you were a caveman who made a small circle and lived in that circle, and the rest of it was unknown. No, that was that's how you that's how you that's, how, that's the concept of them 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 of the reality. sacred and profane and how they made putting, a reality putting your putting your like exploring the world that's ex- the explored territory and outside mm-hmm. of that is the unknown you know me i'm always putting everything in a metaphor so well it is a metaphor and and they and they found certain things sacred certain animals sacred certain things were sacred and they tried to live in that that way as much as possible mm-hmm. and the profane is stuff that's not sacred that's the everyday stuff and and, mm-hmm. and like in modern society that's going to work and doing this and doing that going to the grocery store but like they go into it seems to get smaller so when they do that stuff and like then there's this the sacred stuff which is going into the church on Sunday, and as soon as you walk into that, that's the sacred. 
but I believe that there's other things that are like that too. Like large, like the popular, like like football games and stuff. That because there's certain rules that you that you apply. You go in there, you're dressed in a certain uniform, you're wearing your uniforms. There's you behave a certain way, you sit in certain seats. Mm -hmm. Oppose, like the team, one team is over that so you're mm -hmm. watching. Like it's a whole ceremonial kind of thing. Mm -hmm. and, and yeah, that they, leads and, me to you haven't brought up your anarchist, your person who's the anti. You know, like you. You've spoken in such a benign way about who you were in relationships, but you have pretty strong opinions about where you would put your energy and not put your energy, even though you may not have identified it as values. I know you taught the boys certain things about certain types of music and that music's crap, whatever, you know, I'm not saying you should say those musics because no music is crap. All attempts at music are great, but there was definitely some strong influences in your life oh, yeah, around music and biases and, and strength around certain ideas, right? Mm -hmm. So that was part of your relating to the world. Yeah, nobody really went into relationship in regards to relating to the whole world. And I guess you being somewhat of a loner guy to a degree, it would kind of make sense that the way you talk about it is in this, like, it's this and then it's what happens out there. You know, because that's kind mm -hmm. of the way you were doing it. And even all this growth you've done and all this research and integration of it, you've been implementing new patterns and awareness inside your inner world as you meet the bigger world. Right. So, so yeah, it's also what we perceive and what we value is what we see. But, you know, we don't folk, we can only focus on certain a certain amount of stimuli stimulus at the same time stimuli at, the, at one time so we can't possibly see everything even when we're looking at it we're only finding up finding what we already know what has meaning like we only see the certain things that has has meaning mm -hmm. and you know we don't just unless we know what certain trees are your favorite tree is you don't see you see the forest as like just the forest until you start to realize oh there's different trees mm -hmm. or recognize that they have different leaves you have different so so driving down a road you you see like just uh, this is a forest but not until you learn about the trees so you just learn oh these, these are oaks and maples and and spruces and pines and so, and so that, that's where I understood more about values. What you value is what you see, because that's what you're actually tuned towards. That's not, that gives you meaning. Like, so I, I value exercise and I've learned about, and I value responsibility and accountability. And I, I, I do value relationships. I do value family. So I value a bunch of, so not knowing how to, what values, what was, but realizing, oh, our values are what we're actually seeing, what we, we are attuned to, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I just always wanted a family singing around the piano. I remember seeing that and watching Carol Burnett and people having fun doing skits. 
don't know when or how it happens, if it's maybe this lifetime, I pray. But I always valued just being able to interact with each other in an energy-moving way, like through singing or laughing or interacting. You know, like that was my value was a family that was like connected and alive. So that was where I was not able to meet that fantasy. So I didn't necessarily see that, but I definitely was holding that in a vision. So maybe I was, you know, not taking in the uh, the glory of like really angry music blasting from the room, but it didn't feel like the kind of energy that I was excited to uh, vibrate in. But sometimes angry music is great. You know, mosh pits were definitely a part of my life for a time. So I'm not dissing again. All music is good music if it helps it flow. But if we're making each other feel better, locking each up in prisons with songs, then I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't sing along. It's the feeling of it. It's not. It's like the energy of it. It's not actually mm-hmm. wanting to be angry at people. It's just it's moving like a, the strength. It's like a yeah. theme, and, and could have nothing to do with lyrics. A lot of times, it's just the feeling of it. And, oh yeah. And you, for the moment, and then there's other music that I listened to too. Was listened to too when I was younger. Mm-hmm. There was some music that was like. That, you know that, and when I was growing up, there were it's a big thing about devil music. It was always devil music, but mm-hmm. and it was not. And it, the kids always just thought it was cool because it was like a. But we didn't. I don't think that anybody ever said this, but it was it was basically a mythology. It was like a story. It was like these were mythological characters, mm. and nobody thought that they were like doing magic and spells and stuff. At least nobody mm-hmm. I knew. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that we were, you know, we were just regular kids. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But there was a mythology behind it. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm by no means trying to create a way to say Either. that your music is not a value. I'm saying my fantasy didn't come from seeing it. It came from dreaming it, right? Like dreaming of this way that family could be so safe and make music together. Like just the other day, I watched a video of these three sisters who grew up and they're like a harmonizing family and they sing together. The peace on sisters. I don't remember what it was. I tell you, my heart just like, it opened up just hearing them. Like it was such a beautiful thing to hear people's voices sing together. Even in the phrasing, when I say harmonizing our family, I seriously dream that we actually all sing. And we use our voices to sing a song together and that it allows us to feel that alignment, you know, because there's a lot of independence that grooms in families. And I would say in our relationship, I mean, and again, this is the weirdest podcast for me because it's miles, but we grew so independent to be able to manage the terrain of the situation. And so to join really felt like it would be more of a weakening than a strength because you're using all of our strength to just do what we had to do. And I don't think we're the only couple that's fallen into that way of doing what you have to do. And you're so busy doing what you have to do or they're doing what they have to do. But then that shared thing that's you guys isn't the thing that you're doing. And then there's that whole, well, just it's okay, you know, just suffer for now. It'll be better later and this and that. And I didn't want to do that. And I said no to that. And then I did it double the time I was going to be asked to do it the last time because I didn't know how to create what I really wanted. And I stayed in a situation because I wanted the family to stay intact and I wanted to come through 
in a good way. And I knew what had already happened when I had gotten separated the first time. It was a hit. It was a tough hit. And it, and it only rippled to be even harder. And it took a long ass time, five plus years to get me where I was like clear enough and stable and finished my education, at least my bachelor's, had a job where I could come into meeting another relationship. And at the time, I, I had no idea that I was putting myself into another kind of like situation. I thought I was jumping on the train to like, here's the love of my life and we're about to like do it in this amazing way. But then once the situation and everything came about and more of your truth was revealed because, you know, I'd only known you like a year when we got married or something, you know, so we went on the fast train for for, for sure. Mm-hmm. You know, then we had the babies and bought a house the next year. Do you know what I mean? So there wasn't much time to really know you. I mean, I'm always, you know, the way you smell, the way it is to hug you, to look at you. Like, I love you so much in all those ways. But as far as the dynamics of learning to create a, a house dance together. And the other part that you brought up that I thought was interesting is how you didn't know much about relationships and you learned from me. And that made me laugh to myself about why you must annoy me more than anybody else, because you're actually doing me back to me because you're imitating the things that I've done. Mm -hmm. And I can see sometimes how it's like, what the hell? Why are you doing that? Like, what is that? Like, that's not helping me or that's narcissist. It's just interesting that I was the impetus to some of what Miles was grooming. And that there I was getting mad at what he was showing me because I wasn't appreciating it, you know. So it's just wonderful the way the mirrors work. I'm learning more and more that Miles and I were intended to be mirrors. You know, one time, I think it was Little Bear, Adam said to me, he goes, you're lucky, you're married to your mirror. You know, and because I was so angry and yelling at my mirror because he wasn't the way I thought his mirror should be. But meanwhile, he was mirroring me, and that conflict and anger was inside of me. And we've been talking so much about mutual projection and where the stuckness is. You know, we've been really conscious on loosening any places that felt stuck, right? Yeah. We've had a bunch of Saturdays of getting unstuck. (laughs) Saturday mornings to Saturday afternoon, where we would go and tease long conflicts and resolutions and just have it have it out they were they were good they were they were good they were hard but they were they were they were workouts they were workouts mm-hmm. and I don't know what how we started with this with this part, but with the with it was how did I form how did Well it's just what you learn about yourself in relationships and obviously you learned a lot. So I learned a lot. I learned a lot and then I started to and uh, tried to employ the things that I was learning and learn about myself and learning learn, still learning about myself and learning about the different tools and strategies we can use to be be better, better individuals and in and in individuals in a relationship, and have a shared reality where we both are are the agents and not one agent and the other. You know, the followers. Mm-hmm. You're coming on the dance floor finally. Sure. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. 
Okay, wonderful. So then that was a good answer. Thank you. So let's just go to the wrap up. You really mentioned a lot of values already, but we can come back to a couple more. But before that, how do you like discern even in all this information you take in? Like, how do you know the truth for yourself? Like, how do you keep to your center? Like, how do you, you know, keep that part of you still that you can listen and guide yourself like that? How do I keep myself centered? Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. I think exercise will keep me centered. It keeps when I exercise. I'm out of my head. I'm just trying to count, do the do the movement, and then count how many you know how long I'm doing it for, and then and focus on doing the form of the exercise correctly, and and that helps a lot. And that's like an hour and a half or whatever. I you know I practice in our interactions and with the boys, I practice not being reactive, practice watching my feelings and my emotions and what, what how I feel when when they say something or when I say something. So I keep, I'm pretty, pretty been pretty good with that lately. Like it's easy to get triggered when you're tired or when you're, and, and lose your form. Mm-hmm. Well, how do you know if something's a truth, Miles? There's the objective truth, and I guess the subjective truth. There's an interpretation of the truth, and then there's there's like the concrete truth of of like the sun is going to come up at this time, at this on this day, because they've calculated that that's when it's going to happen because of the movements of the planets and the sun and time of year. So that's the truth. So there's the scientific truth. I don't want to even call it a scientific truth. It's just a, a, a fact, you know, a, a fact. There's social facts and then there's concrete facts, I guess. So, and, and our truth. And like a personal subjective truth, that's more, more of a malleable thing, right? That, change, that can change. I wouldn't say it was true that, that I like to drink lots of, I like to drink Guinness because I don't drink, drink anymore. So, but that was a truth in, in the past. And so true, true. I think the true truth for me has to do a lot with responsibility and accountability. Those are the things that that I've been have been lacking and and or just kind of disregarded or, or used. You know, not not when I was responsible and accountable, I wasn't like noticing it. I know, and now. Try, I'm always trying to do that. I think be, be, take responsibility and ownership of, of things that I, that I do when I do things wrong. And I notice when I do do that, like when I, when I, like when I just say, yeah, I did that. And it feels so much better than, than being like, no, no, I didn't do that. No, I didn't do that. You know, and kind of like rejecting it and fighting it or not telling somebody I did something that I did. Mm -hmm. Just language 
language you can tell sometimes when the language people use their physical language their body language the way they're holding themselves the way they say a certain thing how it contradicts the the way they their language that they're using in their face and in their eyes and yeah and the way they uh, people I notice it with people who, who like to wear sunglasses all the time, like they're all hiding, like the, like they don't realize. Like I guess they re, maybe they, I don't know if they realize it that that they're communicating with that or they're, they're t- trying to block communication of their face. But you block communication with your face with your, with sunglasses. And it's always bothered me when people wear sunglasses, especially when it's cloudy out. I work outside all the time and it's cloudy out. I'm just like, why are you wearing sunglasses like that? And it's hard to tell what when they're talking to. It's hard to tell what they're looking at or their their emotion, their emotions, or their like the what their you know the intensity of what they're telling me is. Mm-hmm. So is there anything else you want to bring to it before we close it up with just some of the shared values that we might want to recap? Responsibility, taking ownership of, of, of your behaviors and yourself, being an openness, being open, I'm learning to be more open, and that's a value, and being more communicate my emotions and my feelings and sharing more mm-hmm. so I, I value those and value emotions and try and becoming more community more adept at communicating my emotions and, and how I feel and how I feel about it in a situation when you ask me how I feel take the be able to tell you Mm-hmm. Or anyone else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nice. Well, it sounds like you're uh, on a journey of becoming your best self there, Miles. Sounds like you've done a lot of work on knowing yourself and being yourself. And I appreciate you being on the podcast and being obviously a mirror to my life. And uh, Too much for your mirror. Are you too much? That's right. There was a song by <laughs> Captain Beefheart. <laughs> She's too much for my mirror. <laughs> I don't know if you're too much for a mirror. I think it's maybe accepting all the things that you mirror. Who knows? Maybe. Maybe. Either way, it's nice to work together for a shared mission, and I appreciate your precision and your communication. And like I say, I, I'm so conscious of how expanded the intellect is and when you touch on all the different things. So it reminds me that when I ask my questions and talk, how I go in all those ways, but in my frame, you know, so thank you for the mirror. It wasn't too big. It's just something I need to re-listen to again. Mm-hmm. But the mirrors are, what we're talking about the mirrors are really just projections, right? Mm-hmm. What we're talking about with our shared reality is shared projection. And that's what we're working towards. Being able to use our energy for that third energy that we can create together in what we're doing with the mission. And right. I know there'll be extensions of podcasts, whether it's in this, our new voice or Miles' own. I know that once he gets flowing and talking, because the world doesn't really know this guy, but when he was that Guinness drinking guy safely talking to me outside in the yard, he is a really fluid speaker. 
So it's interesting. I wonder what will sever the hold of the anxiety because when you would have a couple of beers, there was no hesitation in your speech. We're fluids. <laughs> or fluids. Fluid speaking. Fluid speaking. The fluids were speaking. The spirit was running through you. It was a libation for sure. A social lubrication, if you will. Uh, so it's always interesting how that happens for some people with different medicines. And I just know that, you know, you get an ease and a comfort. And like many of us, if your emotions are strong, if you're angry, you might be more articulate. But when you're not accustomed to just sharing yourself without some impetus to share, there's something that, you know, grows in time as you practice. So thanks for practicing with us today. Well, thank you for allowing me to practice. You're welcome. You're welcome. All right. So then we usually just kind of let go and have a little closing prayer before we do. Is there anything else you want to say to our new voice audience about the questions or about anything? No, I think I'm complete. All right. So we take a breath or two. Become fully present in this moment and nowhere else. And let's do our best to listen. To listen for the sweet spot. And to lovingly release all of the energy back to everyone we spoke about and Miles and so as well. Back to him, fully healed in present time. Take my all my energy back to me, fully healed in present time. And align ourselves to the connection to source that helps us all grow divine. And may we be kind, may we be firm, and we do no harm, and take no bull, take no shit, wherever we want to say it. Thanks for listening. Peace. Turning in all the directions calling above and below to the space inside me that longs to glow. I call for the wisdom of my teachers and my elders and the wisest part of me. What is it that's gonna set us free? How can we find harmony in this family? Please teach me, show me the way. I know, the way will open. Where is it? Where's the vibe? Rhythm in the middle. Stay centered. Stay true. Do what you're here to do. That's what'll soothe your soul. Sing with the tribe. Rhythm in the middle. Rhythm in the middle. Rhythm in the 
悲。